It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to, lots to talk about. Boy, I got to tell you, I thought all of the crazy right-wing lunatics, all of the anti-Bud Lights, all of the anti-Colin Kaepernick, I thought they had all left watching NFL games. But um, this Taylor Swift thing, wow. The the anger, the the vitriol, the the <laughs> oh the panties all up in a bunch, and and why? Because a woman's watching football and rooting for her potential future husband. Uh, this person has some clout. People follow her. People go to her concerts. People like her music. I'm I've been to a Taylor Swift concert. It's it's an experience. But uh, look, I've been to a lot of concerts. I, <laughs> it's it's remarkable watching all of the the right wing echo chamber collectively lose its mind, and and you know all of them, you know from the the, the far extreme ones uh, to to the F channel, you know out there blathering on about this this woman and. Uh, I I was wa- looking at some of the tweets where you know well, I don't you know I don't want my daughters to be like Taylor Swift I want them to be like Lauren Boebert I think that was my favorite I'm going really you want them to be like Lauren Boebert a high school dropout um, you know all of the, the the insanity that circles her 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 down the drain that that's that's the ideal of a conservative woman and and I go back to um. I thought they left. I thought the whole kneeling thing was a bridge too far. I thought the whole um, black national anthem was too far. I thought they were done. I thought they, I thought they had given up. So I don't know why they're still watching. This is the part that gets me. Do they watch just because they want to get outraged? Do they watch just because they uh, they need something to, to, to fuel their inner fire? I, I don't know. But it's it's amazing, considering the fact that we've got real problems in this country. That isn't one of them. Um, I don't like the Kansas City Chiefs, but now I'm in this position where, to be honest, I don't really care for either team that's playing in the Super Bowl, the 49ers or the uh, or or the or the Chiefs. Personally, I wanted the Lions to win. I was rooting for the underdog because that's who I am. I vote root for the underdog. I certainly didn't want the Ravens growing up in Cleveland. Sorry, Baltimore. Never going to be a Ravens fan. But here's the thing. Um, I now kind of want the Chiefs to win. So maybe their heads will literally explode. And we can be done with this insanity at some point. Because this is craziness. And and understand, this is about keeping a certain segment of the population all bunched up, all angry, all lathered up, all, all, mm, one more thing to, to be, to be pitting us and dividing us over. And so we don't solve real problems because understand we've got problems. Uh, we've got an infrastructure that, that is being built, but not, I, I would argue we need more. Uh, we've got manufacturing to reshore. I think Biden's doing a great job doing that. I'd like to see more. Uh, we've got an education system that could use some help. You know, we could, we could, 
most certainly undo some of the horrible damage that's been done over the last several years uh, in the way of vouchers and, and all the, the silver bullet schemes that they come up with and try mostly on poor kids. Isn't it amazing how all of these education schemes, these silver bullet plans, they, they, they work out and they, they try on, on poor kids? You don't see this in the good zip codes. Hey, let's see how we can defund your education system and try this newfangled thing. You never see that, do you? No, when something's wrong in a in a very wealthier neighborhood, where they go, um, maybe we need to pay teachers more. Maybe we need better materials. Maybe we need better infrastructure. Maybe, maybe we can invest more, not destroy more. And this is where my mind keeps coming back to. These things are are planned. I happened to watch a, a weird woman just blathering uh, on the O. Um, the, the OAN channel, and she was just, you know, the NFL is indoctrination, and, you know, they, they take, you know, children, and they, they play them in these sports, and they indoctrinate them in their schools, and, you know, so that they, when they are, their dreams are broken, then they follow these, these adult athletes, and I'm going, yeah, all of us, you know, played sports as kids. I'm a big supporter of, of sports as children, big supporter of learning teamwork, I'm a big supporter of learning to be a good sport of going out and doing your your best and sometimes it not being the it not being enough so that you go back and you work harder. There's a lot of good lessons to be learned from sport. When done without craziness at the top. Now I've had some coaches, you know, the the kind who, you know, they want you sliding into second base with your foot up, you know, so you hit somebody and the you know where. That's not sportsmanship. Oddly enough, he voted for Republicans. And you find that the people who who see the value in things like sports see that there, there are positives that come out of it. The idea of teamwork, the idea of sportsmanship, the idea of doing your best and giving your all. And sometimes it not always being enough. And the idea that you got to work harder sometimes. Oddly enough, what conservatives say they understand and believe but not their actions. Now, what's weird is this this OAN woman said, you know, if they had this kind of fervor for Jesus, this would be a different country. And I go, yeah, we would look like a lot of Middle Eastern countries. Uh, we would have, again, what I've been saying for a while is coming, the idea of Christian Sharia law right around the corner. So if we had religious zealots more in control, can you imagine what an NFL game would look like? Instead of, you know, images of Taylor Swift, you know, applauding and cheering on her, 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 her man, um, maybe halftime beheadings. And is that the nation we want? Some, and I, I got to wonder if this, this commentator, some I think do. So for me, I'll be watching the game. I'm, I, I always do. <laughs> uh, and, and I, I, I guess now. I guess now I have to root for the Chiefs, even though Broncos fan, from the time I was a little kid, uh, they're in the same the same division and and beat up the Broncos pretty good this year once. Uh, I I now have to I have to decide do I do I go with the the Chiefs who I I don't like simply because of this? See how see what craziness has done to us in this country. Personally, it will be about the. 
the the party we're going to have around the Super Bowl, the, the friends and the family who will come and watch the game. My wife will comment on every commercial and the food that will come in and the camaraderie of the day, uh, the, the community that comes out of it, at least for me, because that's the right message here. Not the one that says, well, it's a, it's a psyop. It's a conspiracy. That's crazy. I want to hear your thoughts. Who will you be rooting for? And are you paying attention to this whole, this, uh, this whole uh, irrational outburst? I know they need something to be angry about. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. Quick break, right back after this. Stick around. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So yesterday on the program, we talked a little bit about this uh, this Washington Post story that got a lot of, interestingly enough, this got a lot of email traffic. People going, you know, this is what our media does. It's all about the horse race. It's not about the issue. It's about creating more of that division, you know, depending on which hat you're wearing in this race. And, you know, look, $150 million sounds like a lot of money, but but going to 18 states, you start doing the math, you start dividing that up, it's not an awful lot. And, and I seriously doubt, as I said yesterday on the program, that this small amount of grant money, uh, this small amount of research dollars going into places like Florida or Utah or Wyoming are going to change any voters. But what it's going to do is it's going to help us reshore manufacturing and compete with China. And nobody, nobody's talking about that, uh, which is why, well, we are. That's why I've asked our good friend Scott Paul to come back and share some thoughts. Scott is the president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, AmericanManufacturing.org, the website. Scott, thanks for taking time for us. Hey, Rick. Great to be with you. So did you did you see this article that, that I'm talking about by Eva Dowd that really it, it, it's – I know it's election year. I know it's campaign season. I know we 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 need to you know gin up some kind of you know tug and push and pull and some kind of horse race. But this was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I I would you know I'm someone who supports a lot of manufacturing jobs, uh, but it's hard for me to claim that you know 150 million dollars spread out to a bunch of states. Some of them are red states. Is going to somehow sway voters one way or another. It's like. Uh, I mean, most people will have forgotten about this uh, if they ever heard of it within the next 48 hours. If they ever so. heard of it. And that's the <laughs> if problem. They if they ever yeah. heard of it. And for me, when the, how this story should have been written 
is you've got the Biden administration setting up these uh, these these research programs uh, through the yeah. National Science Foundation to set up these innovation engines all across the country. Politics, red hat, blue hat, red, blue, right, left, not mattering, but bringing manufacturing back, investing in this country. That should have been the story. Yeah, the, the substance of this is is quite important you know for our future i'm not going to pretend like it's a kitchen table issue that people are going to talk about uh you know when they're when they're thinking about presidential politics but it is because we've been playing catch up we we fell behind on research and development and manufacturing for a variety of reasons there was offshoring uh when companies became more shareholder focused they invested less in research and development because that was less money that could be paid out to the to the shareholders and all of that became like a uh, a vicious cycle and and we fell behind in some types of manufacturing because of it and so we're playing catch up now and that's the, i think that's the good news is that the takeaway from this is that we haven't conceded this that we're getting back in the game that we're going to be investing some in some strategic industries to help jumpstart new processes and more productivity and what have you, and that the industries that have been cited are important from a national security and economic security perspective. And the hope is, is that in some way, this will in the future create help to create an ecosystem where we're creating more factories here that are making the types of innovations that will come out of these re this research. And so it is a it's a long play, uh, you know, if you're making if you're making that play, but it is an essential part of it. And one that I would just say that we have done a terrible job of keeping up with the last, you know, actually four or five decades and one that only Joe Biden has been willing to invest uh, a lot of public resources in helping to turbocharge this kind of innovation, uh, which is going to help us all uh, yeah. down down the road. Now, you say this isn't a, a kitchen table issue, but shouldn't it be? I mean, the idea of, you know, look, we've I've been through and you have too a lot of communities across this country that lost their manufacturing base, that lost their community yeah. identity. This is a way to say, hey, look. Um, we want that back. Shouldn't shouldn't this be part of that conversation, especially when you start looking at all of the money and resources that we're putting into rebuilding infrastructure and reshoring some yeah. manufacturing? Shouldn't this be a, I don't know, just a blip on the kitchen table conversation because this is an economic thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I, I think you're right about this. And I think part of the, the challenge here is that there, you know, certainly the Biden administration could do a better job connecting this to things that people are talking about, which is like opportunity. And when you're when you are having those conversations at home, it's like and if you're in a small town or a mid-sized town that used to have a manufacturing facility and you're like, wow, I can I can go work at the dollar store for minimum wage or I could get a job in retail, could work at a warehouse or I could drive 50 miles to get to the nearest opportunity. But having having the possibility that a factory is going to relaunch uh, in a community would be a very big deal, Rick. And, yeah. you know, that's something that we're seeing. And this is all part of that mosaic, right? you got to have the innovation. You have to have um, cutting edge technology to co be competitive um, in this global marketplace. And so policies like this 
are very important, but accounting like this much is going to red states, this much is going to blue states, who this, you know, who, who who's, uh, you know, who are we, whose palms are you trying to grease? I mean, that's not, that's not the right angle. Yeah, no, I agree. This and again, it's it's not that much money. I mean, to be honest, it's 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 not enough, uh, especially when you're talking about the you know, a one point two trillion dollar infrastructure bill. You're going, yeah, you know, Joe Biden went to Wisconsin and talked about a billion dollar investment in that state, but you know, the couple of dollars in this research grant that's really going to move the needle. It seems kind of ludicrous. Uh, yeah. it, ju it just does. But here's the thing: um, the reality is, is we've got to get, as you put it, get back in the game. And as we talked about yesterday on the show, the uh, the reality is, is, you know, China's making stuff and they have yeah. become the producer of the world. And uh, we talked a little bit yesterday about the, you know, the top U.S. companies versus the top, you know, Chinese state owned industries. Uh, they're the, the manufacturing stuff. They're the construction industry. They're you know, the oil and gas They're And ours are, are mostly retail and services. So that that Reagan dream of turning the U.S. into a service based economy, we're we're living that dream. And. It's kind of a nightmare for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, if you're someone who works for a big financial institution on Wall Street the past couple of decades, with a few exceptions, have generally been really good for you, right? Um, or if you're a shareholder in a big retail company that has, you know, sources globally and sells in the American market, which is the richest in the world, it's been pretty good for you. If you're a worker, who's subject to global competition, um, it's been a rough go uh, over the last couple of decades. And you've had downward pressure on your wages for almost all of that time. You've seen jobs get shipped overseas and you've seen people saying that stuff's never gonna come back. And so, uh, and then you have people take it for granted until they can't get stuff, right? And so this is kind of what what precipitated, I think this newfound interest in, in trying to make things again and reversing part of that story but and you're right about this you know it is going to take more than 150 million dollars in manufacturing innovation grants it will take this sustained long-term commitment to uh you know improving our infrastructure making sure that we have good community college programs for kids who want to get into the skilled trades in manufacturing um or or adults who want to shift careers too i should add uh, and that we're also investing in those industries that are going to be growing in the future, like EV and clean energy. And even with all the investments that we are making, we're still nowhere approaching what the rest of the world has done on this. And in particular, China uh, or even the EU, I know, likes to bellyache about the stuff that we're doing. Uh, but, you know, we're playing catch up and it's important that we play catch up so that those kitchen table conversations are converted from, I have so much debt, I can only get a job at the dollar store, I can't move out of the house, to um, I'm making something great here, I'm gonna buy a home and I'm gonna live the American dream. We need more of those success stories. No, I'm right there with you. Uh, now, you know, obviously trade policy is something that's going to be big this election cycle. You know, you've got Donald Trump who who put tariffs on China. Joe Biden, to his credit, has maintained those and actually coming out with a policy to, to add to that to help us reshore manufacturing. 
Um, but the, I'm, I'm watching all of these attacks on the U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. I'm watching all of the attacks, you know, coming out on on tariffs in general. Still, there's that that vein of economists and corporate corporatists who are no, no, it's it's going to be bad. And even Donald Trump has come out and said if, if he's reelected, a 60 percent tariff potentially. Um, <laughs> thoughts on on where we yeah. are with all of this? Yeah, well, first of all, just going to the Trump proposal that uh, that was reported in the Washington Post that apparently privately they've discussed having a 60% tariff on all Chinese products. Um there's a there's a 25% tariff on probably about a um I want to say about a third of Chinese products right now that was put into place that Biden has kept by the way. So, just points out that Trump has to try to try to up the game to keep up where Biden is on some of the stuff. And on the other side, you have people who are trashing the Biden trade policy saying that and 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 its leaders saying that, you know, we're not doing enough free trade agreements and there's not enough focus on that. Like they're, uh, you know, like they want to relive the 90s, yeah. you know, um, again, or the or the 2000s, uh, which uh, which were not good for working people um in in this country and so i do see that as being an ongoing thread in this election is that the you know the elites are still um clinging to uh, with a what i would call rick a religious fervor yes right a religious fervor this idea that free trade is sacrosanct and you cannot deviate from that otherwise really bad things are going to happen and the reality is you know trump did a lot of crazy things let's be very clear about that the tariff policy that that bob lightheiser who i think along with catherine tyre have been the two best trade ambassadors we've ever had in the history of the united states you know uh, it it did make a difference in level setting with china and you know as bad as a lot of stuff was there's really, and if you talk to people, did you notice the tariffs? No, no one noticed these these tariffs that were going to affect. I mean, there was inflation that happened after COVID, but if, if for all the bad stuff that happened during the, the Trump years, you can't say that, that skyrocketing prices because of tariffs on Chinese products was one of them. It just didn't happen. That's trying to rewrite history. And so whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or anybody else who's saying we ought to use tariffs as an instrument of United States trade policy, that is a legitimate policy proposal, yet you still have these stories popping up about how the sky is going to fall if we do all of this. Yeah. No, and, and look, it's like any of the zealot class. Uh, you know, it's the tax cut zealots or the free trade zealots. Uh, the reason it hasn't worked, Scott, is we just didn't do it enough. We need to do more. We need to... You know, I, <laughs> It's yeah. amazing to me. You, you point out the failure after failure after failure and how it's harming people. And you go, no, no, we just haven't done it enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, Rick, I'm just I'm going to go off here now because what you said is exactly true. And even though we have stock markets at record levels, wages are up, inflation is down, unemployment is down uh, among a lot of different demographics, um, th things are actually pretty good. Right. Yet you have, you know, global business lobbies saying regulation and taxes are out of control unless we cut corporate taxes and and stifle regulations. We're going to be going out of bit. They're making record money 
right now. I mean, that's the thing that gets me is that somehow they're trying to create this problem that doesn't exist. I mean, things are are pretty good for them when you look at the bottom line right yeah. now. But they, you know, they they want the they want the freedom to outsource jobs. They want the the freedom to pay workers as little as possible. And they don't want any sort of regulatory responsibility. They want to go all in for shareholders. And look, shareholders seem to be doing just fine right now. You know, S&P 500, like I think is at a record level or whatever. So it's not like there, there's a there's a disconnect from the real economy and Wall Street. There seems to be actually good synchronization right now because there's been some attention paid to the needs of working people in this country through trade policy uh, and through uh, more rights for workers and through these investments that are going to have real returns for workers who don't have a four-year college degree, people who build things and people who make things, Rick. No, no, we most certainly need we need stronger labor protections. There's a lot more that needs to be done to swing this pendulum back because, for, as you pointed out, you know, for 40-plus years, uh, we've been going down this this path that has enriched the very wealthy. Look, it I, I say free trade and the tax cut zealotry, that stuff has worked exactly as it was supposed to. It's made the wealthier wealthy uh, and the wealthy wealthier and, and the working poor and the working class a lot poorer. Uh, it's time for that pendulum to swing somewhere back to the middle. Look, I don't want it to swing all the way back to the other side. But as you've said, you know, you, you've got to have some synchronization where everyone does better. Uh, and what was that little quote? Everyone does better yeah. when everyone does better. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're spot on. And trade policy is an element of that. And so I have a feeling we're going to be talking a lot about the backlash to things that Joe Biden is doing or things that Donald Trump is saying. And the problem, again, for Trump is going to be that Biden has been pretty good yeah. on worker-centered trade policy. And so Trump's going to have to to try to try to leap over that fence. And there's not necessarily a, you know, a, a need to I mean, you know, it's trade policy has been revolutionized. There's not there. You, you can't pretend like it hasn't been. No, no. Biden, I think that's, I, I, that's where. Yeah, this 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 administration has it's been a sea change. But I, I real quick, you know, before I let you go, the the 60 percent, you know, trade tariff. Um, yeah, that's that sounds like a lot. Uh, would that you know, would that would that be a number that you would be OK with? Would that trigger a trade war? What, what do you think that because it seems like something that uh, uh, the right would lose their mind over. But it's something that Trump is is privately uh, thrown out there. What do you think that would bring? Yeah, I call that a bargaining position, right? You know, because uh, you know he's he's trying to to stake a claim out there. But the reality is, and we saw this even with the twenty five percent tariff, um, but it didn't even happen in full until the 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 COVID crisis and all the supply chain stuff happened. And you saw firms adjust, and what they did is they negotiated better terms with their suppliers in China, or they moved their production. Um, either to the United States or to Mexico or to some other Asian country, they absorb some of the costs uh, themselves, but you saw them make do. And yeah. so the idea, I think that you'd just see more of this, more of the trade deficit coming out of China, probably going to some other countries. We'd get a little bit of that. I think from a consumer effect perspective, you'd see very little 
of that, you might see some of these shopping apps that are based in China go out of business, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. That is not a bad thing. I'm hoping that happens at some point very soon. But Scott, as always, I appreciate the time. Good stuff. You bet, Rick. Great to be with you. Thank you. Our good friend, Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, AmericanManufacturing.org, their website. You certainly want to check that out for our free speech TV audience. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here next time for our radio folks. Quick break. Right back. Welcome back to The Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So I came across an article the other day over at the Washington Post that, that grabbed my attention. It was talking about the death of Leroy Moton. And, you know, it, it got me thinking about back in 2015, we had done a civil rights tour uh, as part of the program uh, that took us all across the South. And, and basically looking for, you know, all of those places where, where black people were treated poorly, that we now have tourism and and one of the places that we ended up with was in Alabama at the gravesite of Viola Lauza. Uh, Viola was a, uh, a 39-year-old nursing student, wife of a mother of five, wife of a Teamster executive, um, you know, from Detroit down in Alabama. Well, actually went to Selma and was making the. Uh, the run back and forth from Montgomery to Selma, shuttling people back and forth to the airport for the march uh, after Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Uh, you know, this is 1965. They're fighting for the Voting Rights Act. There's there's all this stuff. And, you know, I, I see this story of, of Leroy Moten, who back in 2015, we, we tried to hunt down uh, to, to interview because of we were going to be going through and we did go through uh, the area where this murder took place of uh, Viola Lioza, uh, which is, you know, in, in Loudonsboro, Alabama. And for those who don't know, um, you know, again, you know, this this woman, the only white woman uh, to lose her life during the civil rights era, uh, murdered by a Klansman, one of them an FBI agent, or not an FBI agent, an FBI informant. Uh, working for the FBI. And, and you know, this story just, you know, at the time that I was going through and we were doing all this research and stuff, this is one of those stories that just grabbed my attention in that, you know, here was just, you know, an average, you know, housewife, you know, just a student, someone who had gotten active on a college campus, said, hey, I want to change the world. And went from Detroit down to Selma to participate in the, the Selma, the Montgomery marches, uh, you know, shuttled people back and forth at the airport, you know, was was there to to try and affect change. And for her trouble, she was murdered. And, you know, we drove that U.S. Uh, Route 80 there in Alabama and, and went to her gravesite. And, it's, you know, it, it's easy to miss. And we did it right there at mar- mile marker 111. And I still remember that, you know, just where that was. And, and I remember, you know, standing on that on that space, you know, just looking around. And even to this day, you know, all these years later. Now, remember, this is March 25th, 1965. This woman is murdered by these Klansmen. And for the for the sin 
of of driving a black male around uh, for the sin of of you know being in the same car. And and I remember standing on this on this ground, going, "There's there's no help here for anyone." Even to this day, you know, there was really nothing on that stretch of road. This was, you know, this was this was a this was a an ambush. And you know, look, you know, they stopped for gas. Uh, these Klansmen, they they saw, they saw this. They you know, they started harassing them. Uh, uh, you know, she tried to outrun them, couldn't, uh, and they, they they shot her twice and, and killed her. Uh, but Leroy Moten was able to get away after the car crashed. He he came to, he ran, uh, and he was able to then, you know, get away and and lead a life. You know, he passed, um, you know, back last September at the age of seventy eight. Uh, was a, a foreman at a manufacturing facility, as I understand it, and and you know, basically died in obscurity. Where you know, you know, the way the story goes, and the way that they tell this story, a handful of people showed up to his funeral. There were there you know, there was no, no, you know, <laughs> this guy's you know civil rights, you know, um, you know, notable none of that. And and I and as the the person in the in the article you know kind of lays out because yeah that's the I guess the the beauty of the movement is that it was it was a lot of everyday people and this is what Dr. King was talking about people from every walk of life coming and participating and 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 you know trying to to make things better trying to make change where you can but I you know I, I'm as I'm reading through this it it. it it's one of those things that if not for uh, the Teamsters Union, if not for some folks, her her story lost lost in history. Um, because the Teamsters, you know, as a Teamster, it's one of those things that I've, I've heard about for years. Uh, you know, every every March, you know, they, they, they there's 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 a story about her. So they, they keep her alive in those memories and in those stories. And it makes you think, you know, how many other, how many other people have has history forgotten? And this is where I go back to education of these moments. You know, for for me, when we did our civil rights tour back in 2015, it all sprang about because my my oldest daughter was, you know, in grade school and and learning about you know Rosa Parks. And, you know, we, we had that conversation like parents and, and kids have, you know, what'd you learn in school today? How was your day? And she said, oh, we learned about Rosa Parks. I'm like, oh, okay, what'd you learn? Well, she was tired. And it, it ended there. Now, that could just be the brevity of a child, you know, you know, taking in information and then filtering back out the most simplistic frame possible. Uh, there is that. Or it could be that's just the way it was framed. You know, look, you know, she didn't want to give up her seat. She was tired. And and then the rest is history. So we decided that, you know, as part of the program, we wanted to go and and experience history. We wanted to seek this stuff out, as we had done two years earlier with our labor history tour that took us across the country. Uh, and it, 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 it was a couple of things. One, want to educate the kids uh, so that they have... At me as an experiential learner, I, I need to see and feel and touch things. Uh, so this was an opportunity to get out on the road and and do some of that. And you know the story of Viola Laiuza was one of those that as a, as a Teamster member for you know over thirty five years, uh, this is one that that was kind of kind of special. 
in that this was a woman who, you know, you know, five kids, mother, uh, you know, student, you know, lost her life standing up for somebody else. And, you know, the sad reality out of this is, you know, none of them were convicted uh, of any state crimes. Uh, the, there were some federal crimes. I think they, the couple of them got, I think three of them got convicted on, but they only spent, I think, 10 years in jail. And it was, it was groundbreaking. It was historic. And, and, and again, my mind keeps going back to the, the stories that came out of it that, you know, the fact that there was an FBI informant in the car, it, the FBI, you know, went on this dis, disinformation campaign, you know, you know, just so that the politicians and the press would have some cover. Uh, you know, she, you know, she was, you know, ha- having a sexual relationship with all of these, all these black men, which, you know, was trying to, and even if she was, who cares? Uh, but, you know, she was, a, she was a heroin addict. You know, she was, she was all this stuff. She was a communist. Uh, she abandoned her children. And the reality is, is no, this was a, a woman who heeded the call of, of Dr. King and went to the march in, in Selma to Montgomery. And for that, she was executed. She was murdered. Uh, now, I go through and I, I think about this, of where we are as a country and how this story and that tour really, you know, affected me because, you know, you know, my my experience with black history was a lot of, oh, Dr. King, you know, Malcolm X, you know, that stuff. Not the 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 horrific treatment of people throughout history that we found. There were a couple of places that we went, a couple of of of, of, of institutes and a couple of you know museum type places that we went to were the curators who were nice enough to give us tours and sit down with us and talk to us and, and all of that, you know, said to us, Hey, you know, there's some, there's some pretty bad stuff here. You may want to have one of our assistants take the kids around. And when they said that I always heeded their, their, their warnings because me, I'm a little more, they should see things. Uh, but when the person who's running the place says, you know, this is a little, this is a little, this is a little, this is too far. Uh, I I followed their lead, and I'm glad they did, because you know they were just children at the time. You know, my my oldest daughter at the time was what 13. Uh, my my son was probably it was what uh, nine. My youngest daughter was seven. Um, they didn't need to see burning bodies and lynched bodies hanging from trees, and there were numerous pictures of that. And that's our history. And for me, at the time, I was saying, look, you know, it's important to, to, to see this, to understand that this is what happened. Uh, and, you know, as a country, take responsibility for it. And then and then say it's not going to happen again. And I, I know people say, well, you know, they're making you know, us feel bad for it. Um, I didn't do it. Wasn't me. But as a country, we've we've got some atoning to, to do. So the bad stuff should should stop happening. And part of this is, you know, that people shouldn't be murdered for giving people a ride. So as I was thinking about this story today, I, I came across an AP story. And that AP story, <laughs> again, you know, just makes you go, at what point do we, as a country, say, you know, enough is enough? 
Uh, but the AP story about uh, prison labor and how we ha- are abusing prison labor like 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 nobody else. And in fact, you know, countries that we're, we're exporting stuff to countries that uh, <laughs> we we say we say you they can't use prison labor. So we've blocked their imports into our country, but we're exporting to those countries because we're so much better. And. You know, this this AP story goes really into depth about just how deeply tied our entire economy is to current slave labor conditions. You know, they start off with, you know, one of the biggest, uh, you know, cattle producers in the, in the country is uh, is in Louisiana at, at, at one of the, the big prisons down there at the Angola prison and how if you don't work in the they're you know raising the cattle they they send in the people to beach it's it's terrible and they go through and and talk about the fact that agriculture is is a big part of 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 what they they get to sell it and you're talking you know hundreds of billions of dollars worth of products and you know how all of this started basically right after right after the civil war and was enshrined in the Constitution by the 13th Amendment that said slavery and involuntary servitude are banned except except as punishment for a crime. So if you're in prison, we can put you to work. You know, the, the lease convict programs that we saw in places like Tennessee, where we're going to use, you know, those 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 people, those slaves that we picked up for for minor crimes. We're going to send them into uh, into into the white mines where those miners are on strike, so that we can one, you know, continue the white black divide, but two, crush the strike of those white miners to ensure that they don't make better wages, hours, conditions, so that the the bosses, the owners, can put more money in their pockets. Are we surprised that you know all these years later, still going on, just just differently named? And here we are, you know, and, and they go through, you know, there's the story of, you know, people working on plantations and, and farms and, and all of this stuff doing the same job that slaves did 150 years ago, only um, there, the difference is, um, yeah, good luck. Explain it to me because I, I can't. And how... Prison labor, there's there are no federal protections. There are no uh, there's no workers' comp. There's no unemployment. There's no uh, there, no safe safety regulations. There's none of that stuff. And if someone dies on the job, well, you you're incarcerated. You're not even really a person. And you know, this again is one of those things where we've known this for years. This is not new. But to see another story coming out about, yeah, we've got all of this prison labor that's going on. Uh, we've got all of these people who are, are, you know, being used and abused, you know, for our cheap labor fixed so that, you know, the corporate, uh, the, the corporate bottom line can look fatter and happier. But we're just saying, well, you know, they're, they're just prisoners. You know, they, they, they get, we're able to justify it by saying, well, you know, they, they did something wrong. And where my mind goes in this is if you allow, if you allow these prisoners to be exploited the way they are, if you allow them to be, um, you know, put in into conditions that 
truthfully, you would never consider working in. But justifying by saying, you know, they're, they're well, they're just, you know, they're they're less than than human. They're less than us. Then eventually those conditions trickle down to you. Eventually we all suffer this. Because these are, as they point out in this article, these are some of the biggest corporations in this country who are benefiting from it. You know, McDonald's and Burger King and, you know, go down the list of these these giant conglomerates who are, you know, Coca-Cola, Walmart, all using this prison labor. But, you know, and violating their own policies while doing it. But it's perfectly okay because the government says it, it's it's okay. And you go, you know, the reality is, sadly, that uh, uh, <laughs> the argument is, well, we're, we're help, helping to rehabilitate them. They're learning a skill. Nonsense. They're being exploited. And look, I'm not against people learning a skill. I'm not against people, you know, working as long as they're compensated, right? As long as they're treated fairly, as long as it's, you know, it's voluntary, and they go into this into the article. Explain to me why it is that you have a system that's set up that says, you know, sorry, you know, we're going to cheat you out of out of out of your labor, and not just that, but we're going to put you in deplorable conditions. Now, some say, look, well, you know, while they're incarcerated, they should pay for their own incarceration, and there's some some argument to that. There's some some there's something to that, and I've always said that you know, part of part of the the system should be about caring for one, themselves. I think the prison should be almost self-sufficient. You should have, you know, textile areas where people are are, are making the clothes that they wear. Uh, they should have farming areas where they produce the food that they consume. You know, I, I was I was as I was reading this story, I was remembering a a small it was a small county prison in in my neck of the woods that years years ago. It's got to be twenty five years, 20, 25 years ago, uh, they used to have a, a little farming patch. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine more than four or five acres, but you would see the prisoners out there, you know, working with, with hand tools, you know, you know, cultivating the soil and, and, and growing stuff. And the food was for, for the prison, for prison use. And what they ended up doing is they ended up, you know, paving it over and and then you know because hey we got to make money off of prisons, and then you know basically outsourcing that and bringing food in. Because it's about the money. Our prison system is about exploiting cheap labor and profit profitizing it, figuring out who wins. And when you look at the fact that we incarcerate more people than anyone in the world, both in sheer numbers and as as a, as, a, as a matter of population, uh, are, are you surprised that there are always bad ideas on how to? how to exploit it. And I guess I guess I'm not. And this is where, you know, I my mind goes to this place of we think that we've we've moved so far ahead that we've we've learned the lessons of the past and of history. But sadly, we're repeating many of the same things. And for me, to forget the lives of, of someone like Leroy Moten and Viola Louisa Louisa is not just bad for history. It's bad for our future. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the rick Show.com. I'm going to take a quick break. Right back. Stick around. 
This is The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. Thanks for tuning in to The Rick Smith Show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Rick Smith Show. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find all that and much more at thericksmithshow.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1865. That was the day the United States Congress passed the 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolishing slavery. President Abraham Lincoln had already issued the Emancipation Proclamation, but there was worry that the proclamation, an emergency wartime measure, would not stand up in the courts after the war had ended. The introduction of the amendment first occurred in 1864 as the Civil War raged on. That meant that only northern legislators were present to debate the issue. Despite this, the amendment failed to pass the House of Representatives. Determined to ensure its passage on the second try, President Lincoln made the amendment part of the National Republican platform for the presidential election. He lobbied heavily for the bill and was able to win enough support for its passage. The New York Times described the scene after the vote in the House of Representatives, writing, No attempt was made to suppress the applause, which came from all sides. Everyone feeling that the occasion justified the fullest expression of approbation and joy. The final amendment read, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist in the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. The amendment then had to be ratified by three-fourths of the states. The ratification marked a fundamental change in the labor system of the United States. No more would the nation be divided by free labor and slave labor laws. Kentucky did not officially ratify the 13th Amendment until 1976, and Mississippi did not follow until 1995. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So again, I, I come back to this because I think it's important, this division that has been, been just exploited for pretty much from the beginning of this country. Uh, we are easily in the working class divided on race, on gender, uh, now on orientation, uh, on you know nationality, you name it. There are dividing lines that, that corporate America, that the very wealthy... I have figured out how to how to exploit and and look race being one of the big ones. And you know I go back to and I think of the you know the, the Jay Gould quote you know, or a quote that's attributed to railroad magnate Jay Gould back in the the 1880s. Uh, I could pay half the working class to murder the other half. And even if he didn't say it, this is the playbook. And and I look at what Trump is doing right now. Uh, Trump sees the economy doing well and somehow has got to take credit for it because it can't be Biden. Somehow Trump has got to say, you know, it's all me. Uh, so he <laughs> uh, recently said, you know, the stock market only makes rich people richer, which is true. 
I don't think he meant to say that out loud. Uh, but he tweet he truthed out uh, just the other day. This is the Trump stock market because my polls against Biden are so good <laughs> that investors are projecting that I will win and that will drive the market up. Everything else is terrible. Watch the Middle East and record-setting inflation has already taken its toll. Make America great again. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this this guy, I, you got to give him credit. Uh, you know, it, it's it's always sunny in 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 Magaland. It's always he gets credit for it. Whether it's good, he gets credit for it. When it's bad, he blames somebody else. Uh, but he takes credit for all the good stuff, all the bad stuff. Somebody else's fault. Never, never any consequences fall on on Donald Trump. Uh, also, right around the same same time, he he truthed out uh, an attack on Sean Fain, the president of the United Auto Workers. He said Sean Fain is a weapon of mass destruction on auto workers in the automo- automobile manufacturing industry in the United States. Is he under contract to China? Because they will be getting almost all of our car making business within a very short period of time, which is weird because he used normally he uses all caps. This one, you know, car is capitalized, business is capitalized. Yeah, just I'm not sure what school he went to, but not uh, not what you expect. And then, then uh, all capital A capital auto workers should. And then all caps vote for Trump, uh, make America great again, because uh, you got redundancy. You got to keep that going. You got to keep that. Got to keep that in in mind, because evidently he thinks he's the only guy who can uh, make this country great. Now, what I find interesting is is Trump is the guy who, you know, he's he's the Herbert Hoover of our generation. Uh, he left office. The country was in in chaos. Uh, the supply chains were broken. Unemployment was through the roof. We were in the throes of, of a major pandemic that he boogered up. There's all this stuff. And you just go, mm, maybe maybe we don't do that again. Uh, but Sean Fain did what what he does best and fired back quite, quite eloquently, talking about the records of Donald Trump and Joe Biden, saying, look, you know, Joe Biden is a guy who walked on the picket line. This is a guy who showed up for working people. This is a guy who has put... His, his his money where his mouth is. Uh, he's not just talking the talk. He's literally walking the walk. Now, Donald Trump, on the other side, uh, he, when he was trying to walk the walk, he did it at a non-union facility with no auto workers. And, and this, this, whole, this whole show, this whole bread and circus event that they threw out. And he said, look, you know, the reality is, is the records speak for themselves. Uh, you know, Trump has never been somebody who has supported working people. What we're seeing, he said, is, you know, Trump is doing the best. It's a rope-a-dope. He wants you to look over here while he's taking everything away. Uh, Fain said, I mean, it's divide-and-conquer tactic, and that's what worked for the billionaire class and corporate class forever. And, you know, i got to tell you, this is what what I've been saying for, for years now. Finally, someone of, of real power like Sean Fain is taking that message to the next step. And good, good on him. Uh, but I want to hear your thoughts. Are you okay with where we are? 
the economy doing well? And and should Trump get credit for it? Is this Trump's stock market? Even though he's been out of office three years and all of the stuff that Biden's done, uh, I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at thericksmithshow.com. If you miss any portion of the program, make sure you grab the podcast starting on March 18th. Uh, we will be going for a full hour on Free Speech TV, so look for that. Uh, thanks so much for being here. We'll see you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick, Email Rick. at rick at thericksmithshow.com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk.